You're listening to the Jabin Chavez Leadership Podcast, a conversation designed to help you define your organizational culture and leadership values. Jabin is a pastor, artist, and highly sought after speaker who has a long track record of growing departments, ministries, and organizations. We know that this podcast will bring value to you as a leader and to your entire team. Hey, everybody, welcome to the podcast. I am really excited about today. I'm excited about what you're going to hear. And uh, I truly believe it's going to be impactful for everyone who listens, uh, no matter your career, no matter the season of your life. I believe that um, this word is going to be very transformational to your life. Recently, we had a senior pastor's roundtable, and um, my friend, Pastor Marcus Meekum, spoke, and man, he just really blessed us. Marcus Pastor Seven Hills Church in Florence, Kentucky, Cincinnati, Ohio, all in that area. And uh, the church is large, growing, multi-campus, dynamic, and has made a massive impact on the region. And um, I, I hope that more and more people will find out about Marcus, learn from Marcus, and um, be blessed by Marcus's ministry. He's one of the great preachers and leaders in America and uh, very, very honored to be his friend. I'm very honored that he took the time to be with us in Vegas for our lead pastor roundtable and speak into um, lead pastor, senior pastors. By the way, we are bringing that back. It will be in July 2022, um, and we're going to open it up to lead pastors and lead teams. So this will be an awesome thing that you can bring uh, your lead team, executive staff, whatever you call that, executive pastors, lead pastors, whatever. And um, we're going to bring it back in July. We'll be talking about it soon and really excited about that. But anyway, this message is going to bless you, King in a Week. King in a Week. You're going to love it. Make sure you're following Marcus on all social media and um, checking out Seven Hills Church because I know that will be a massive blessing to you too. All right. Bless you guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, it's so good to be here. You can be seated. Um, man, thank you, Pastor Jabin. That was incredible. Uh, I um, I remember, I, I had forgotten that I had you do that, but I, I do remember that what I was trying to do was I was trying to get you to fall in love with our church, and you didn't. You didn't. I, I was like, well, just keep bringing Jabin in. Maybe he'll be our worship leader, and... Um, yeah, but he, he didn't, he wasn't having that, so, so it's so good to be here, um, so good to see each of you, and, you know, I always think about these kind of moments, you know, talking to preachers, pastors, leaders, and um, it's a big deal to me. Um, I know what of a hard audience you are, I'm very aware of you're already criticizing me right now. You can't help it, it's what we do, right, it's just how we are. And, um, but wasn't it a beautiful, just a beautiful presence of God already here tonight? Wasn't that just so precious? It just, for me, I was sitting there worshiping and I was like, I think we could just keep worshiping because there was just, I don't just think just a sweet presence of God. There was a great hunger, you know, worshiping with each of you. And so for me, I think it's going to be a great few days. I really think, I think God's going to do something special uh, in each of our lives. And so the fact that I get to be a small part of it, I appreciate and tomorrow, of course, we have Jabin. So I always, the way I always look at church life is kind of like, like hotels, right? 
So, um, like, Jabin is like your five-star preacher, right? He's like your five-star. Like, he, oops, I got to go preach at Elevation. Oops, I got to go, you know, <laughs> preach at Hillsong. Oops, I got to, you know. So he's your, like, five-star preacher. But we're going to start you off with, like, your Motel 6. <laughs> this is a Motel 6 anointing tonight, so no... No montage or whatever the big hotels out there. I don't know what they all are. The Ritz. That's not tonight. Tonight is, is your, yeah, just we're motel. We're not even hotel. We're just going to motel it tonight. So if you got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 10. 1 Samuel chapter 10. And um, I do think that this will help you. Um, it's a message that God gave me for our church about two years ago, and I had no idea that I would spend some time talking to preachers about it, but it seems to have been why maybe the Lord gave it to me. Let's look at verse, verse 5, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 5. After that, you'll go down to Gibeah, where there are a Philistine, there's a Philistine outpost there. As you approach the town, you'll meet a procession of prophets coming down from the place with lyres, timbrels, pipes, and harps being played before them, and they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you'll be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds you to do, for God is with you. Then go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I'll surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, but wait seven days. Everybody say seven days. Until I come to you and I'll tell you what to do. And then in my Bible, in my Bible, I don't know how your Bible is, but I have the real big dark letters that kind of starts the next paragraph. It says Saul, Saul was made king. Y'all see that? Y'all have your digital Bibles. But look, Brittany over there, she's got a real Bible because she's a real Christian. But uh, Saul was made king. Y'all see that? Okay. All right. That's important. Because I want to talk to you around this idea, king in a week, king in a week. Now, we would know that, that Saul, before this moment, would have been a low man on the totem pole at his father's ranch. His responsibility was taking care of the family donkeys. Now, I don't want to act like I know what it takes to take care of donkeys, but I'm just guessing that it was a reflection of the kind of confidence that this family had in him. In other words, I don't think donkeys is a big responsibility. I've never seen a picture of donkeys like racing off to go get into trouble, right? Donkeys are pretty much pictured, right? They're just, they're pretty cool, right? They just, they don't do a whole lot. But when we pick up in this story, Saul is failing. Somehow he has failed at taking care of this minute task of managing the family donkeys, so he's out looking for them. He's trying to find them. He, he doesn't know where they are. And in the process of this, he runs into Samuel. And Samuel sees Saul, anoints him with oil, kisses him with favor, gives him some basic instructions, says, hey, what you're going to go do is you're going to head this way. You're going to run into this procession of prophets. They're singing, they're dancing, they're playing their instruments, and you're going to join in with them. You're going to prophesy with them. You're going to sing. You're going to worship with them. You're going to prophesy with them. And then the Bible says that the Spirit of God comes powerfully upon Saul, and he is changed into a different person. 
the Bible says God gives him these instructions. Whatever your hand finds to do, just go ahead and do it because I am with you. And when you hear that powerful story, that powerful life-changing experience, Saul goes from being a nobody to a king in one week. He goes from donkey patrol to leading a nation in one week. Now, if that were to happen today in our world, in our culture, we would immediately say, Saul, what you need to do is you need to write a book. And this book is going to be a New York Times bestseller. And, and you're going to need to go on. You're, you're not going to need to go. You're going to be the most followed person on Instagram. You're going to uh, be asked to go on the Oprah show. And we're going to want to know. Oprah's going to want to know. How did you do it? How did you go from donkey patrol to being a king in a week? Please tell us what the formula was. Please tell us maybe what some steps were that you took to accomplish that so that we might also apply some of these strategies to our lives so we could also do something great in life. He would be on the Ellen show. He would be a New York Times bestseller, right? He would, he would, he would definitely make it to TBN, definitely make it to Daystar, def, definitely make it to all the big Christian conferences. And he would definitely make it to those levels. To be a king in a week is something that we really all want. We really do want God to do something great. And if we are honest with one another, we want him to do it quick. We, we, want, we want quick greatness. We want overnight success. We want that sudden sensation type of life. You know, the kind of life no one will ever ask me to go look for donkeys again. No, no one will ever kind of push me down to the menial task of life again. And king in a week, the Bible says, is what the people wanted. The people went to Samuel and said, we want this kind of king. And Samuel went to God and God gave him specific instructions. That's not how we do things. Quit watching the pagan nations. Quit, quit watching the ungodly nations. Quit watching how the world does things. Quit, quit watching how the world raises people up and how the world worships. Don't, don't, we don't want to do it that way. That's not how we, we want. But the people kept pushing, kept saying it's how we want it. And the Bible says that God finally took his hands off and said, fine, give the people what they want. They can have it their way. And God gave them their king in a week. The Bible says not long after that, that God would regret giving King Saul the throne. Can you imagine God saying that to you? Could you imagine God saying, I regret giving you that ministry? I regret giving you that opportunity. I regret opening that door for you. The word regret means as if already dead. Could you imagine? You know, it's, it's like having a funeral in your head. We all have people in our life that we regret ever meeting, right? We wish we would have never met them. They're still on the planet. They're still breathing air. They're somewhere here on planet Earth, but we've had a funeral in our mind concerning them, right? We, we, we don't care nothing about them. We regret ever meeting them. The Bible says God regretted ever giving King Saul the throne. He's having a funeral in his mind about Saul. And if you follow the story here with Saul, he never really matured beyond his king in a week, Genesis. He never really matured beyond this beginning where he received quick greatness. The rest of his life, he believed if God is in something, it will include overnight success. For the rest of his life, he measured whether God was in something or not by how quick it happened, how quick the greatness happened, how quick the success happened. But the Bible says God never wanted a king in a week. 
You know, we even talk about things like Acts chapter 2, right? The fire, like divided tongues of fire falls on each person that was in the upper room. Uh, The mighty rushing wind, we sing about it, right? Just fills the upper room and they walk out of that place and Peter stands up, preaches, 3,000 people get saved. But we miss this, like, they were all together in one place, in one mind, in one accord. We, we miss these things, like they were in a 10-day prayer meeting after, you know, the guy they were following was just crucified. Then he was rose, raised from the dead, but then he ascended. He left, he left him and said, hey, you know, good luck. You know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and move on with things. Then they had just recovered from three and a half years of walking away from their life, their business, their family, walking away from everything, not for like 40 hours a week. They walked away from everything seven days a week, 24 hours a day, constantly. One guy had the nerve to say, hey, my dad died. Do you think maybe I could go attend the funeral? We know the story, right? Jesus is like, nah, nah, let the dead bury the dead. You keep on following me. We, we hear about Acts chapter two. We hear about those kind of things. But the truth is, we never consider what preceded Acts chapter 2. And we say, you know what, I appreciate that you're saying that some things are difficult and some things take time and some things take, there's a process to them. But I really like that king in a week gospel. I really like that king in a week program. what, What about that? And when we follow that kind of a program, we end up creating souls. We still do our own thing. We're kings, I guess, still a mess, still a wreck, still can't get along with people, still throwing spears, still avoiding our giants on the battlefield, still can't forgive, still can't shut our big mouths, still can't keep our commitments, still can't do what we said we would do, still not a person of our word, but God, give me a king in a week fix. We know that King Saul never saw his destiny fulfilled. His end is tragic. I guess you could call it suicide. His family's ripped apart. His legacy is wasted. But he was king in a week. Got it quick. Got it fast. Got it big, big time, man. Just massive. Just wow. Just sensation. Just the world. Just, you know, couldn't clamoring because he just just loving everything about because it was quick. Now let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And because I'm not hearing your pages turn, it's okay. It's not a big deal, but this is kind of something you have to see. Verse 13, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the presence of his brothers. From that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Then Samuel went to Ramah. So the first time Samuel is the kingmaker. He goes to Saul, he anoints him. One week later, they have this massive coronation service. It's there in Jerusalem. The nation is gathered all the pomp and the circumstance is, is that, that you could imagine is happening in this moment. They're celebrating, they're cheering, they're shouting. Everything is, is as big as you can imagine. Samuel's going to get up and he's going to introduce the first king they've ever had. And so he walks up to the stage. He's about to introduce Saul, but he can't find him. Saul on day one, is hiding in the baggage. And if you follow Samuel and Saul's relationship from that point on, Samuel had to prop Saul up every step of the way. Not just on his beginning day number one, but when he goes to war, Samuel's having to figure out how to prop Saul up. He's always trying to help Saul be the king that he made him to be. 
So the second time, Samuel anoints David, and then he says, God, you be the kingmaker. And the truth is, if you look at it, we never really see Samuel again. The next time we hear about Samuel, he's dead. We hear about his funeral. Everybody weeps about Samuel. He walks away. He anoints him and says, God, he's yours. So let's just, here, this is how we're going we're gonna to do it real quick. All right, so let's do it like this. Okay, so right there, he's chasing donkeys. This is, this is Saul, right, chasing donkeys. Right there, there's a procession of prophets, right? He's changed into a different person. Right there, he's made king. Do we see that? See how that happens? All right, so now let's, go, let's do this. Okay, so right here. David's anointed king, Samuel bounces. He's gone. So maybe is he going to be king there? Maybe right there? Huh. Maybe, maybe here. Did we miss it? Okay, no, not there. Not there. Not there. Not there, not there. Here, Saul's trying to kill David, so it's not happening there. Not there. I, I'm thinking that maybe Samuel missed God on this one, you know, because it's not really happening like it should. Nope, not there, not there, not there. There, David's starving to death, so he has to go to church and eat the communion bread to survive, so he's not looking like a king there. Uh, not looking like a king there. Oh, yeah, right there. That's when, that's when Saul kills not just the priest that helped him, but kills the entire city of priests and their family for helping David eat communion bread. So he's not looking like a king there. Okay, what about there? No, not there. No, not there. No, not there. No. Now Samuel's dead. Who's going to ever kind of confirm this like anointing on his life to be king? So, so no, that's not happening there. 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 Not happening. There. Not happening. Nope. No, here David has to act, act crazy in, with the Philistines, right, just to survive. Nope, so it's not going to be there, not king there. What about king there? What about king there? No, what about king there? What about king? The book's almost over, folks. We missed it. The, big, the book's almost completely over, and nothing's, nothing's happening. Nothing's going on. Here, Saul kills himself, right? So now Saul's dead, so surely it's going to be, nope, nope. Now we're just going to go to a whole nother, whole, whole nother book. Going to happen there? Nope. Going to happen there? Nope. Going to happen there? Nope. Going to happen there? Nope, 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 nope. Nope, 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 nope. Right there. Read it. Saul becomes king over Israel. 22 years later. You know who wants that? Nobody. Nobody. But God didn't make a king in a week. Can we take a second and just admit in our own worlds, most of the mistakes we make is because we elevate people too quickly. Right? Somebody just shows up. They've been at the church two weeks, but they want to do a marriage ministry. And they notice you don't have one. And, oh, yeah, by the way, I self-published a marriage book. I just wondering, you know. The last church I was at didn't really believe in my marriage ministry. (laughs) 
somebody comes up to you, I just really feel like I'm, I'm called to, to young people and you don't have a youth pastor and, and you ha- you've known them for five minutes. And in your mind, they've already solved your problem. We could walk through it time after time after time after time. We, most of the mistakes we make is because we don't understand anytime you do something quick. Anytime you do something fast, it's almost always a mistake. I mean, you can play the lottery with people if you want, because people are a risk, right? Every time you work with people, it's a risk. But if you don't, if you don't have some type of process to know who someone is that's, that's highly intelligent, then you, the only way to know who people are is you got to give it time. You got to slow everything down. You got to increase the runway. Like you, you, you got to figure out exactly what am I getting into with this person? We even tell the David and Goliath story wrong, don't we? So tell me if this sounds familiar. David is watching the sheep. His brothers are out at war. His dad needs to get his brothers some lunch. So he sends David to go take his brother's lunch. David goes, has the lunch. Here's Goliath threatening the children of Israel. David says to his brothers, why isn't anybody doing something about this? Right? Why is anybody? His brothers talk about how arrogant he is. Then David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Goes and talks to Saul. Saul looks at this 17-year-old kid. Says, he says, I've killed a lion, I've killed a bear. And Saul says, great, let's put the nation in your hands. That's how we tell the story. That's not the story at all. There's a whole missing part of the story no one talks about. You want, want, to know, want to know why no one talks about it? It is incredibly boring. It is so boring that we just jump right over it. Because Saul is dealing with demons. Every single night when he goes to bed, he can't sleep because of these evil spirits that are plaguing him. He tells one of his servants about it. His servants say, I know that there's this guy that's the son of Jesse. He plays the harp. And if you'll read the resume, this no-name servant gives David, unsolicited, she talks about his integrity, his excellence, how he carries himself, how he communicates, how he talks, how he handles himself. Just talks about how, not just how talented he is with his music, his, his instruments, but just what an incredible human being he is. Saul says, bring him to me. David shows up, plays the harp. The evil spirits leave. Which just a side note here. King and a weak guy can't handle his own demons. So the demons leave. Saul asks for David to stay. David never returns back to his father. David becomes the armor bearer to King Saul. This means he's not just with him every night playing whatever music he is in Saul's night hours. He's desperate and broken and and miserable and devastated not in fearful, not just at that time. He's walking with him every single morning, every decision he makes, watching how he handles people, watching how he makes decisions in, in the kingdom. He's his armor bearer. He's with them every day, all day. Then he's with them 
in the intimacy of night in his bedchambers when it's just him and Saul. We don't know the level of conversation that went on between Saul and David, but we can only imagine if we were struggling and desperate and devastated and heartbroken and full of fear and angst about all the decisions that need to be made, what kind of conversation would you be having with the guy that the second he started playing, demons would leave? So we don't know all that went on, but we know that this relationship went on for approximately two years. Two years, every single day, all day, David is with Saul. Then the war breaks out with the Philistines. David has a little break, asks if he can go check, on, on, check in on his dad, goes to check in on his dad. His dad doesn't even want to see him says, why don't you go check in on your brothers? Think about that. You've been in the palace with the king for two years and your dad don't want to hear about it. Doesn't say, hey, I'm proud of you. It's really great to see all. No, his dad cares nothing about that. Says, hey, go take, your brothers are in the real fight. Your brothers are doing the real job. Go take them to lunch. So David does it. Then he hears Goliath threatening the children of Israel. Then his brothers start calling him proud and arrogant. Why? Because he's living in the palace. They're all embittered with him because of where he's living. Then he goes to Saul. And when he says to Saul, hey, I've never talked to you about this. I've never had a conversation with you about this. But when I was watching my dad's sheep, I took care of a lion and I took care of a bear. And I really think I could take care of this giant. What does Saul already know? He knows David doesn't blow smoke. He knows David's not a self-promoter. He knows David doesn't say something and not follow through, right? He doesn't overpromise and underdeliver, right? That's not David. When David says he can do something, when David walks in a room, hell leaves. Saul knows this. So now Saul says, do you want my armor? You want my sword? Now here I'm going to put the nation in your hands. The point is David's faithfulness gave him access to the king. David's faithfulness gave him an opportunity on the battlefield. David's faithfulness is what killed the giant. If God's your kingmaker, let's look at it for a second. It'll be filled with hard work, demons, betrayal, disappointment. David thought maybe being the king's armor bearer is my way to the throne. Maybe killing Goliath is my way to the crown. Maybe marrying the king's daughter, Michael, is going to give me access. Maybe if I befriend the king's son, Jonathan, that's going to be how I get there. He knows he's anointed. He knows he's called. He knows he has a prophecy. But God's way to the throne will be different. He never has affirmation from his earthly father, never has affirmation from his earthly brothers, no affirmation from his father-in-law, the current king. He's rejected by his wife. He's betrayed by anyone and everyone that's supposed to love and support him. They all wanted David to fail, die, and many of them made it their own mission to destroy him and went to great lengths to even kill him. David's path looked nothing like what he thought it would look like. Even a couple days before he's supposed to, he ends up becoming the king. In Ziglag, his closest 300 people turn against him, try to stone him. He did not have one person that consistently stayed in his corner. When he took the throne, when David took the throne, there was not one person that stood by his side all the way through. Not one person. Because he wasn't on the King in a Week program. Messy, painful, confusing 22 years of waiting, 22 years of testing. 
And you know what the Bible says God was looking for? The Lord sought for a man after his own heart. The Lord was seeking for a man after his heart. It's one thing for God to have your heart. It's a whole other thing for you to have his heart. He gets your heart in a moment, right? We call that being born again, salvation. Just in a moment, boom, he has your heart. Anybody remember that day he got your heart? It's not the way you get his heart. It takes a lifetime to get his heart. See, the question isn't at this point in the story, can I trust him? I know I can trust him. The question is, can he trust me? Can we talk for a second? Should he trust me? Should he? Probably not. Should he trust you? Probably not. Probably not. In the end, David fulfilled his destiny. Generations were blessed. David's bloodline brings Jesus into the earth. And then Jesus in the book of Revelation talks about David with us. He says, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. Jesus is talking about the key of David. What he opens, what God opens for him, no one can shut it. And what God shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you've kept my word and not denied my name. I will make those. Let's drop down to to verse number 10. Since you have kept my command and endured patiently. I will also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come on the whole world. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make you a pillar in the temple of God. Notice in the key of David, there's no king in a week. No language of king in a week. Let's look at the language real quick. Words like patience, endurance, hold on. Let no one take your crown. Be a pillar. And the reason I love settings like this is I want to talk to someone who started to settle into the idea that it will never happen for you. That it's never going to happen for you. But the Bible says no man could take David's crown. No man could take it. Because no man gave it to him. They all tried. Right. They all tried to take it from him. His enemies tried to take it from him. his own son made a grab at it. People tried to take it, from, but no man took his crown because no man gave it to him. There comes a point when you have to say, do I really want somebody else, something else, some other way? Because God's still making kings, right? We're kings and priests to our God. Nothing wrong with wanting to rule and reign with him. Nothing wrong with wanting to walk in the dominion and the authority he's given you as a believer. Nothing wrong with wanting success. Nothing wrong with wanting influence. Nothing wrong with wanting achievement. That's not the point. The question is, will you let God be the kingmaker? What's it say? That God will open a door that no man can shut 
and God will shut the door that no man can open. We sing songs about the God of an open door, don't we? We don't hear no songs about the God of a shut door. I've been in full-time ministry for 25 years. And you know how many times there's been a shut door? I was like, I don't understand why the door is shut. I don't understand why they're not including me. I don't understand why they don't, like, I don't understand why they're not returning my call, returning my text. I, I don't understand why, why I'm not being invited or this or that. I don't, I don't understand, and I'm knocking on the door, right? I'm pushing the door. I'm kicking the door, and I, I don't understand why the door is not open. And in my mind, I'm like, everything that, that, that I'm, I'm needing, I got, this door has to open. And somehow God was on the other side of that door with his foot wedge, his shoulder up against it, with his love, making sure that that door didn't open for me. Because he's the God of the show. I used to thank God for the open doors. I'm so thankful for every shut door. I don't know if there's anybody here that would just say, man, thank you, God for not opening that door for me. Thank you, God, for not letting that friendship evolve. Thank you, God, for letting me be invisible. Thank you, God, for hiding me in every possible way. God, thank you. trying to think about how to say this because I don't want to say it wrong. I was, we were at lunch today with Jared Neiman, his dad's Charles Neiman, and, and um, Jabin said his dad planted that church 44 years ago. How many followers does Charles Neiman have on Instagram? Do you know? Does he care? 16,000. You know what I know? We have guys like Charles Neiman sit down at round tables like this and listen to 28-year-olds talk about how to build a church. We, we, think, we think that guys like that are irrelevant. We think that guys like that are not king in a week. Not king in a week. Not king in a week. When was the last time one of you guys preached Charles Neiman's sermon? Use one of Charles Neiman's <laughs> illustrations. My point is, God said, quit watching how the Philistine nations do it. Quit watching how the world does it. Why is this happening? Why is that happening? Why did another one bite the dust? Because it's not his way. God's way is not king in a week. It's not his way. It's, not, it's what the people want. It's what we clamor for. And God just takes his hands off and says, fine, have it. I didn't say they couldn't preach good. I didn't say they're not anointed. I didn't, I'm, not, I'm not judging nobody. I'm not saying God can't raise somebody up quickly if he desires to. I'm saying... If you just, again, I'm not an expert. I'm not here to, to, to say what God should do and every person should be the same. I'm just saying if in general you follow the overtone of Scripture, it's not how he does it. 
Even when we talk about crowns and kings and thrones, the very one we've given our life to, his crown is not jewels and gold, right? It's, it's a crown of thorns that they savagely crushed his skull with. But no man can take that crown, right? Because no man gave it to him. Because no man gave it to him. So I'm here just to encourage you that if you'll not quit, what, what, what did it say? This is the key of David. That just, he just had this way of saying, okay, God shut that door. Okay, okay, God opened that door. Okay, okay. Even when he's king, he's not trying to fight for the throne anymore. Right? His son's trying to take it from him. Okay, okay. Because no man could take that crown. Because no man gave it to him. He knew man didn't give it to him. And there's something special about knowing God raises you up. There's something special about knowing in the hidden places you're developing your skill, you're developing your character, you're developing your anointing, you're developing your relationship with God. You're develop- it no- and when, you, when God does give you moments and when God does give you opportunities, there's a confidence that can come because you know he did it. You know he did it. You know he's the one that did it. He's the kingmaker. He's the one that raised you up. And when you have that thing about you, can't nobody take this because didn't nobody hand it to me. No, nobody. It was, I didn't politic to get this. I didn't brown nose to get this. I wasn't slick to get this. I didn't buy my way into a room to get this. Let no man take your crown. Let no man take your crown. Let no man take it. No man can give it to you and no man can take it away. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe in the day we live in, there is an old anointing that you're renewing. An anointing of endurance, an anointing of patience, an anointing that's tempered that doesn't rush it, that doesn't force it, that doesn't push for it. God, there, there, there is a spirit in this generation where we've watched enough. We've seen enough. And I do believe you're wanting to raise us up to where we match on the inside what it is that we're desiring to see you do on the outside. And so, Father, my prayer for each pastor and their churches is that you bless them with the kind of leaders, God, that can last the long haul, that you bless them with the kind of leader that can stay the course, that you bless them with the kind of leader that 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 can think like the Charles Neemans of the world. Forty four years. God, I don't care what you do in the next five years. I care what you do in the next hundred. I care what happens when I'm dead and gone. Did I leave anything that somebody else could build on? God, help us not think in in weeks, but God, help us think in centuries, in generations. God, give us the skill set, God, to think bigger, to think further out, to to see the, the, the greater picture. God, help us remember that sometimes we look at your word and we're just looking at the glimpses and we're not filling in the gaps with the 
the great time that was involved between one verse and another, between one story and another. Father, help us embrace your gift of time. Time is a gift to us. The, 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 the journey is the gift. The, the personal path that God has us on that's unique to us, it's the gift. God, deliver us from needing it quick. Deliver us from uh, the personal offenses that we carry because you did it quick for them and you did it fast for them and you used them in this way and you gave it to them in that way. And privately, personally, we sometimes wonder, why not me? Forgive us, we repent of just not saying, it's just not the path that you have us on. It's not the door that you've opened for us. That's, 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 not, that's not the way you've made for us. 